Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. We've got, wow, so many people in the studio and so many plants and flowers to talk about. Um, it's going to be a very full program, I think. First up, I must say a big thank you to AB, who filled in for me last weekend. Um, but, yes, I'm back fighting fit and uh, we're all ready to keep going. First up, we have to welcome back from Kyneton, all the way from Kyneton, Margot McDonald from the Garden Tap Nursery. Good morning, Margot. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, listeners. Gorgeous weather today and uh, we've had a bit of rain, which we're all so thankful for. Aren't we? Because it was oh, getting dry. Yes. Very well, I mean, dry. We've had a lot of work done on uh, the drainage works at our place. Oh, right. And so every bit of water that's you know not going to the tank is now directed down to the dam. And it, oh, fantastic. Just that one, oh, I know it was a lot of rain, but it all yep. went in and it's yep. nearly full. Brilliant. So, very, very happy. Excellent. We also have to say a very good morning to Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clondermanane. Good, good morning. morning. Good morning, Pam. It's nice to be on the panel this morning with all these celebrities. <laughs> <laughs> well, and our very next celebrity is Evan Golke from Oka Landscapes. Morning, Evan. <laughs> good morning, Pam. Good morning, everybody. It's lovely to be here. Great rain, as you say. Yeah. Just fantastic. It drizzled all day, uh, I think, was it yesterday? No, the day before yeah. at our place. All day. Yep. Uh, it was just fabulous. Yeah. Lovely soaking rain too, yeah. wasn't it? It was. And the day before as well, we had plenty. So I think we must have had about 15 mil. I didn't look, but we would have had 15 mil, I would have thought. Yeah, but the beauty of when it's <clears throat> when it's drizzling like that, it all soaks in. It doesn't mm. run off the top and mm. it's wonderful. Yeah. I had a landscaper drop into my place on Friday night to pick up a plan and he just had mud from top to <laughs> tail. <laughs> and I said, oh, did you have a good day? Oh, no, it was terrible. <laughs> He just looks so, so grotty. <laughs> so good for some. Absolutely. But, of course, we're now, I mean, we're getting scheduled for 30 degrees tomorrow, yeah. which means things are just going to leap out of the ground, yeah, aren't they? they well, are. Including the weeds, including the grass, all the little knives will be out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the snails will be going ballistic oh, as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I've been trying to do uh, one hour of weeding every single day after work. Wow. Now, that's what I call yeah. discipline. Before I'm allowed to have the glass of red, I've got to do the one hour. And it's making a little difference. Not, you know, just yeah. keeping on top of you, do one little section at a time, mm. sort of you know, tick that off. And mm. Look, it's a really good plan because mm. otherwise turn your back on it for oh. two weeks and you think, where on earth am I going to start? And it's so daunting, yeah. you think I can't even face it. No, and so many of the grasses now are getting the seeds, so we don't want those of course, to, you have right. to get you know, drop all over the place. Yeah. Yep. And the good weeding time, according to the moon keeps going until Tuesday, so get out there and whack into them. What do you mean, till Tuesday? Or we can stop after Tuesday. After that, you're going to pull the heads off the weeds and you leave all the roots in the ground. What? Haven't you noticed go back, that? Go back a couple of steps, please, Graham. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? Well, the moon, the moon cycles are such that it was good weeding from last Wednesday right <clears> through <throat> till next Tuesday. Why? Now, because the gravity is pulling them into the ground. That's right. Yeah, that's correct. Nice. And I noticed that I was weeding last night at half past eight in, in the moon, and they were just pulling out of the ground really well. 
You've right. been wet. Things are different. Yes, at I was going to say <laughs> it had something to do with the things rain are, too. Things are different at Kyneton because they've got so many rocks at Kyneton that oh. really makes it tough. Look, I'll have you know, Graham. I'm actually not. I don't live at Kyneton now. I live at Lauriston. So that's they you know, told 10K me that 12. was the Turak of Kyneton. No, it's <laughs> certainly not. We've got um, it's old gold mining town. Yes, and the soil is so different from Kyneton. Kyneton's mm. got this black pug. Mm-hmm. which is really hard to work with, soggy and messy in the winter, and then it cracks, great big wide cracks in the summer. Mm-hmm. And where we are, we've got sort of yellowy uh, white clay powder mm-hmm. and it's um, and a few rocks, yeah. And have you nice got, rocks. you got more water where you are? We do, <coughs> but it's salty, so we're not yes. trying to use okay. it. Yeah. Yeah. But you're right about the weeding to keep on top of the garden. I think that's the mistake a lot of people make in their home garden is that you only need to just wander out yeah. on a regular basis, mm. pull a couple of weeds and wander back in. Mm. You know, if you do that regularly, because then you see the cycle. So, for example, our garden has just gone through the flickweed. Oh, right. yes. You know, so, so over the last month, you had to be out there just making sure you got them. Right. And if you get them, then you don't have as many next year, and you don't, and the year after, and year after, and year after. So it becomes easier and easier. Yes. Whereas if you leave it to the big hit, yeah, you're not actually reducing the weeds because the seeds have already set. So yep. all you're doing is pulling vegetation out. Mm. Yes, that's true. Um, so it, it, you do have to just keep on to it, and and it's the same with vegetable gardening. People often say, "Oh, it's too hard." vegetable gardening but it's actually really easy you just have to spend a small amount of time regularly might only be once a week yes but it's just that regular wander out have a look Mm. and pull a couple of weeds or plant some new seeds or whatever and then forget about it for another few days you don't have to be out there all the time but if you don't look at it Mm. which is the old permaculture theory isn't Mm. it that it should be close to the house Mm. so that you do see it i actually can see mine directly outside the lounge room window oh okay uh so you can actually stand there and have your cup of coffee and have a look and say oh i better go out and pull that out or that out or all those tomato seedlings that are Mm. coming up i I actually think weeding is the most important thing of the garden in so much as um if if people weed for you're right long lengths of time when it comes to weed again, there's, it's an association of ideas. Last time I did it, oh, I got a really crook back. Yeah, yeah. I end up going to the chiropractor. So you think, oh, no, I'll put it off. Mm. I'll put it off. Mm. And, and, and it is so important that, that you take it in short bursts. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. It makes it much easier to keep a garden. My, my mm. garden's quite big. Mm-hmm. And you have to, uh, if you just do it regularly, it's not a chore. Mm. And, and you keep, a, keep an eye out on what's going to seed. Yeah, yes. that's true. And get them before and just they a little, go to I think in my mind, because we've got a big garden now too, mm. is well, it's only starting off, but um, to do a section at a time. Just mm. work on one bed until that's finished and then another day do another area. Mm. And, um, and you sort of – it's like opening a book and reading a chapter and then, you know, it's sort of very satisfying that way. Mm. Otherwise, if you, you think of the whole garden, it's too overwhelming. Yeah, it's daunting. It mm. is. It really is. Yeah. Mm. So mm. that's the way to do it for sure. Mm. Um I have to just disagree with you with the veggie garden, though, because mm. you do have to at least keep an eye on, on watering on a pretty not, – you couldn't just water once a week. No. I haven't watered and, my veggie garden yet, apart <laughs> from seeds. Yeah, but if you've, if you've planted from seed, you can't let those dry out. No, no. If you've put seed in, you have to go out uh, – well, I work from home, so I can go out with the watering can in the middle of the day. Yep. And put a little bit on the seed, yeah. but but once the seed is up, as oh, all once, my carrots and up, everything yeah. are up, you don't you don't have to, yeah. yeah. But um, 
Maybe it's a bit mo- moister out my way. Yeah, well, it is. It, yeah. it is an Eltham. Yeah, yeah. oh, definitely, yes. It, it's a little bit more damp. Yeah, I mean, mm. obviously I haven't watered this week because of the rain we've had, mm. but um, normally, well, a couple of weeks ago I was having to water every day. Really? Mm. Yes, yeah. mm. yes. And if you're into those clay soils like we've got, same as you, Pam. Yeah, well, I've got solid and, clay. And, and you'll get you'll get put water on it. It just runs off. Yeah. So you do have to keep up with your veggie garden. You That's right. That. Yeah. 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 Sure. Okay. But the rest of the garden, for me, with the clay soils, we've yeah. added lots of horse manure in, mm-hmm. except for the native sort of areas. But uh, that's been marvellous because it's, you know, it's got a lot of fibre in it because they're eating the hay and the grass mm-hmm. and everything. And uh, where we've done that and sort of ripped the soil, mm-hmm. fantastic. We only have to water once, maybe, you know, if, it, if there's no rain at all, maybe once every fortnight. Yep. Once you've got the mulch yeah. on it, the, that's, that that's it. clay mulch really holds. And the difference between <laughs> Melbourne, where I was living at Bayside, sandy soil. Oh, with your sandy soil, yes. It's, it's hard work, but once you've got it done, it's, yeah. it's heaven, really. Well, yeah. the thing is, I mean, we all complain about clay soils, but the clay actually holds its nutrients. Mm. Oh, yeah. So if you can just get it a bit more friable... Um, then you're actually, I mean, roses love clay yeah. soil, don't they, Grant? Just love it, yeah. yeah. And you're right, Pam, clay holds the minerals. Mm. And that's the important thing with, with our soils in Australia because they're so old. And if the minerals are there, we're going to get it in our vegetables, in our lettuces and in tomatoes that we mm. grow in our, our garden. And if you start to look at, um, <clears throat> you know, these, these ideas about diseases, so much of our food is only as good as the soil it's grown in. And when things are forced with chemical fertilisers, then we're missing out on all of those essential minerals. Mm. Yeah, yep, exactly. Mm. Now, Graham, I can't wait. You've got to tell the listeners your big news because you've had some fantastic news in regard to um, the rose that you bred, Grey's mm. Blue, and uh, it's been in the uh, trial garden over in Adelaide for now three years. Would that be right? About yeah, three years? You're right. It's in, into its third year. Yep, yep. yep. But you... with Went over there for a big awards night. Yeah, well, they have a big awards night in in um, in Adelaide because the Rose Trial Grounds, that the Australian or National Trial Grounds, are in Adelaide, Adelaide in the Botanical Gardens. And if people ever go to Adelaide, go and have a look at the Rose Garden. It's really, really great. Mm. Um, anyway, we had the awards, and um, the surprise to Diana and myself was that we won not only a bronze medal, but we won the best uh, perfume rose in, in the whole trial. Wow. Isn't that amazing. stunning? Yeah, which is really, really amazing. And it was with a, a rose which is actually a patio rose, and patio and miniature roses are just so out of fashion at the moment. They really are. All right. They're just like we couldn't sell one to, to you know, bless ourselves with. In America, the, the uh, miniature roses and patio roses outsell the big ones 10 to 1. So, you know, the, it's just like the whole world of miniatures in, in Australia is just n- not there. Why do you think that is? Oh, um, well, quite frankly, um, it, it began in the supermarkets when they got flooded with miniatures around about 20 years ago. Right. And there were a lot of miniatures that came out here that was sold in the European market as throwaway pots. So you'd go and buy a miniature rose in a, in a florist shop and take it home and you'd keep it for 10 days on the bench and then chuck it in the rubbish tin. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Aussies don't do that. They go and plant it in the garden. 
and the roses that were being sold then just didn't didn't go at all. They just so you know, they weren't up. good garden subjects. No, yeah. no, no. Mm. It was mm. interesting that that that's what happened to the market. I would have right. thought in this day and age, with with you know these these huge houses built on virtually no garden on mm. small blocks, that mm. that patio roses would have really come back into their own. Mm. Yeah. Well, look, call a spade a spade. Um, the, the reality is there's been a lot of roses out there in the rose world that we have sold. And just remember, we had 63 new releases last year Yes, I in know. Australia. It's enormous, like, isn't it? Like, that's mind-boggling. <laughs> it really is. is. And um, there's been a lot of roses out there that have been just, quite frankly, just rubbish. Mm. And um, But I will say, in defence of the flower carpet, which has been an absolute success, and sold with the theme of easy care gardening. Yep. Unlike... And Tesla's, anyway, the, you know, a little old Australian company, got the rights pretty much worldwide and sold 80 million. Yes. How many? 80 million. It's extraordinary, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but just amazing. If you compare the carpet roses to um, miniature roses, mm-hmm. there really isn't any comparison. I mean, they're bigger, buffier, they perform mm. the whole time. They don't get disease like mm-hmm. the little ones. They're great for mm. mass planting. Yeah, mm. I mean, they're, they're probably not quite as prickly, or you can, you know, it's the little mm. ones you don't mm. want to get your hands on That's just right. weed. Yeah. very hard to weed around. Yeah, yes. so mm. just, mm. yes, get rid of those and mm. do the others. And <laughs> the interesting thing with that is that Anthony Tesla says to me, because Anthony's separate to his family, how you yes. operate his business. Um, he says, look, I'm not a plantsman. He said, I'm a marketer. That's mm, my yes, that's exactly. my job. That's what I stick to. Mm. And he not only sells roses, of course, he sells a lot of other different plants. And he trials them and he trials them in his own garden. And you can go to his his place in at Sylvan and go and have a look what he's doing. And, of course, he's also been trialling trailing over, over the years um, watering systems. And um, that's also been a plus, you know, for, for, for Australia because... Water, as we all know, is the first and foremost thing. Yes. So, yeah. Um, so that's what happened with anyway. Back, getting back to the miniatures and patios, and um, the amazing thing about the the rose was that it got um, the mayor of Kifu's award from Japan, who provides an award every year for the most perfume rose in in the trial gardens in Australia. So, so perfume is really big. In the yes. Japanese world? Yes, yes. Okay. It's a real, real... And it's very big here in Australia. <laughs> oh, it is. Oh, it's come yeah. back, yeah, it which is great. Has, yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. And, um, and the great thing is about it is there's, there's over 15 different types of perfumes in roses, and, of course, it's very, got a very wide appeal because we're all different in what we like in a perfume. Mm. And um, it's the first thing. People are attracted by the colour of a rose. You see them in the nursery, and the next thing is they've got to smell it. Yes. So that... You know that's that's a, a big attraction for people with roses. And, so, uh, Graham, describe the rose that you've won the awards with. Um, well, um, I go. It's a it's a mauve, and it's got a, a streak down the petals of a deeper mauve. So it's sort of different mm. to just a straight mauve rose. And um, um, I knew from the from my years of breeding. Well, first of all, budgies. I used to beat budgies when I was a kid, and then, then I started breeding fowls. And the saying in in the poultry world, um, and there's a lot of poultry poultry fanciers in Australia. Believe me, there's huge. <laughs> New South Wales have got the, some of the best poultry breeders in the world. Really? Oh yeah, they've developed some amazing fowls that are adaptable to our climate. Yes. Um, and they always say breed the best with the best. Mm. And keep on doing that. Mm. If you try and go and correct a problem, now you you know everything that you breed with is 
is not always perfect, but you've got to get the the most perfect to breed with the perfect. Mm. And I knew from um, breeding that if I was going to get perfume, I had definitely put, had to put perfume to perfume. And the, one of the parents is Perfume um, Perfection, oh, okay. which won a gold medal in Adelaide in the first rose trial ever. And then there was another miniature that, that I actually found in a supermarket and uh, <laughs> by, by mistake. <laughs> and... Um, and it turned out that that had a perfume, and that was bred by a breeder in Texas, um, who was who was uh, was an amateur breeder, and he's come, become more professional. Of course, in the United States, it's a lot of miniatures bred because there's 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 a market for yes. them, you know. So, what so, size is the rose? Is is it a miniature? It's, it's a it's it's not a real miniature miniature, mm. but it's what we call a patio. It's a it's a, a bit bigger between a miniature and a floribunda in oh, okay. size. Yeah, so, and and it'll get about um, you know knee high as it grows. So it's like the carpet roses. It's like the ca- in size, mm. yeah. Yeah. yeah, perfect. Yeah, yeah. So, so so what's the next step, Graham? What happens next? Oh, I'm still going for the sky blue rose. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I meant with grey's blue. What what happens now? It, it's still being trialled, I presume. It has to complete that trial period, doesn't it? No, no, it's been through. It's the been trial. through the trial. Yeah, that's finished. So so do you try and hope someone picks it up? Commercially, or what, um, what happens? Well, one could do that, um, but because it's so competitive in our market and we have such a small market, um, and when you start to talk about the small market, you know, we're, we're close on 30 million, but when you start to market a, a plant in Europe, you've got a huge market oh, um, yes. to work with. Yes. And um, that that's the challenge. I suppose if one was really wanting to push it, uh, I'd try and get it trialled in Europe and try and sell it in the European market. But um, to sell it on the Australian market, it's steady, steady. If if we want to get a thousand labels um, uh, to to put out there, you know, we're we're, we're up for about four thousand dollars because you've got to buy them in those bulk numbers. Yes, right. Yeah, so um, that's where we're at the moment. I'm not too excited about what it's, what it's going to be. We'll sell it exclusively from Silky Gardens Rose Farm. <laughs> and we'll let Margot have some too if she wants to. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, well, congratulations, yeah. Graham. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. Yeah, I still can't believe it, actually. Yep. No, mm. that's wonderful. Mm. Mm. Oh. That's great. I must get to a few community announcements oh, because, yes. surprise, surprise, it's springtime and there are things happening out there. Uh, first up... Um, Next Wednesday, November the 11th, um, there's a walk and talk. uh, This is being run by the uh, Australian Garden History Society. There's a walk and talk with Pamela Jelly and John Hawker. Now, this is to do with the City of Melbourne preparing a master plan for the domain to guide its management for the next 20 years. So Pamela Jelly will explain the history of the domain and John Hawker will lead a tour around the trees, many of which are large or rare in cultivation. Now, weather permitting, you can bring a picnic tea uh, where the discussions can continue. Uh, Now, you meet at 6pm at the Queen Victoria Monument, uh, which is Melway's reference 2FK10, and uh, it's a totally free event, just if anyone would like to go and find out more about... uh, about what uh, the City of Melbourne is planning to do with their master plan. And, of course, it's early stages, so it means that uh, if you have any ideas, you can also uh, uh, put forward some suggestions towards that master plan. So that's next Wednesday, November the 11th, um, 
And as I say, you meet at 6pm at the Queen Vic Monument, which is Melway's reference 2FK10. Now, also, um, coming up uh, next Saturday, uh, now, as part of Sustainable Gardening Australia, they have developed some sustainable open gardens and tours. Now, their next open garden is coming up next Saturday. This is Leanne's Garden at 13 Electra Avenue in Ashwood. It's open only on Saturday, 10 a.m. through to 3b. 3 p.m. There's no bookings required or anything. You just turn up, and it's uh, the garden is blessed with a north-facing aspect. There's an abundance of pro- produce. It's a permaculturally based, low environment <coughs> impact garden, and uh, all the elements are there: fruit trees, annual and perennial veggies, berries, vines, bees, chooks, and even ducks. And, uh, and the interior of the house spills out into the verdant growth. Um, it gets its sun in winter and shade by the vine-covered pergola to make this a very useful, friendly and productive home. So that's next Saturday, 10 till 3, and the address again is 13 Electra Avenue in Ashwood. Now also, uh, <clears throat> Open Gardens Victoria have got their next Open Garden coming up next weekend both Saturday the 14th and Sunday the 15th of November, 10 through till 4.30 on both days. And uh, next weekend, the garden that will be opening is Flint Hill. Now, this is at 65 Romsey Road in Wood End. Um, It's a grand vision which began in the 1930s and it's matured into one of the great woodland gardens of Australia. There's magnificent specimen trees which form a canopy, over sweeping lawns bordered by hundreds of majestic rhododendrons. There's winding walks leading to formal ponds and lakes and the garden is surrounded by an impressive eucalypt parkland with views to Mount Macedon and Hanging Rock. All up, it's 10 10 acres of garden. Now there'll be garden tours by the head gardener, Merrin McRoberts, and turf manager David Cole happening at 2 o'clock on both days, both Saturday and Sunday. There'll also be food and refreshments. And uh, entry price is $10. Children under 18 are free. Now, once again, um, our good friends at Open Gardens Victoria have given us one free double pass uh, for the first listener who'd like to phone in uh, for that. Um, the double pass will be posted out to you. So if you're interested in picking up that free double pass to go to visit Flint Hill next weekend at Woodend, give, uh, give Virginia a ring on the outside line and that number is 94198377. That's 94198377 to pick up that free double pass to go to Flint Hill at 65 Romsey Road in Woodend. Uh, now the next one coming up, there's a lot coming up uh, next weekend. Uh, we have the Bromeliad Show uh, run by the Bromeliad Society of Victoria. Again, this uh, is on both Saturday and Sunday, 14th and 15th of November, 9 till 5 on the Saturday, 9 till 4 on the Sunday. Now it's being held at the Phoenix Park Community Centre. This is at Rob Roy Road in Chadston. Melway's reference for that one is 69D2. 
And uh, there'll be obviously a colourful bromeliad display. There'll be a huge range of bromeliads for sale, books and information available. Uh, admission is adults $4, seniors $3. And if you'd like further information, you can contact Barry. His number is 98011628. Now, uh, next uh, Sunday, the 15th of November... There's a garden walk being organised and um, all proceeds from this walk will go to the continuing renovations and upkeep of the Arthurs Creek Mechanics Institute Hall. Now, there's going to be four private gardens, um, Strathewan Community Bushfire Memorial and Blacksmith's Tree, Strathewan Primary School's award-winning garden, which I must say is a fantastic garden to go and visit, Arthurs Creek uh, Primary School's Grade 6 Leadership Project. They'll have an official garden opening at 11am. There'll be Devonshire teas and light lunches, art and craft, a raffle and plants for sale. Now, um, admission for all of these gardens is $20. Children are free. Uh, The gardens are all open until 5.30. But tickets are available from the Mechanics Institute uh, from 9.30 until 3, and the address of the Mechanics Institute is 906 Arthurs Creek Road in Arthurs Creek. Melway's reference there for that one is 393B4. Uh, just a couple more I should uh, get to. Uh, <clears throat> firstly, uh, 13th to the 14th, which is Friday and Saturday, is the 44th annual Leon Gather Rose Spectacular. The uh, venue is the Leon Gather Memorial Hall in McCartan Street in Leon Gather. Entry $5. Uh, it'll be a quality show featuring roses and cut flowers, uh, special sections for children and the community, and uh, local Red Cross will provide refreshments. All proceeds go to Vision Australia. Uh, also, let me see, what's the date of this one? Um, we might leave those and I'll come back to those because those are after next weekend. Uh, and if we get time, I'll come back to a few more a little later on. But it's high time we invited our listeners to join us. If you'd like to ask a gardening question this morning, do give us a call. The number is 94190155 to speak to the team on air. We have uh, Graham Sargent, Margot MacDonald and Evan Golke in the studio this morning. So 94190155. Or if you'd like to speak to Virginia on the outside line this morning, 94198377. Graham, because you've got this huge rose in front of us, let's start with um, Firefighter. This This is the Firefighter rose and it's been released as a fundraiser for the CFA. And it is a gorgeous red, and it has one of the most fantastic perfumes of any rose I've ever actually smelled. Mm. Now, I realise that that's my sense of smell, yes. but it has a powerful um, uh, scent. And it's got lovely long stems, would cut very well in the vase, mm. and of course, um, it'll flower for nine months of the year. And it's, it's um, dark red. Very, in similar in a lot of ways to Mr. Lincoln, which of course Mr. Lincoln's a very famous rose. Mm. Uh, there's so many people that um, want Mr. Lincoln when they come in the nursery. It's just unbelievable. We just can't keep up the supply. <laughs> <laughs> it looks a bit stronger than the Mr. Lincoln. The the structure of it. Yes, 
I think that's fair to say. It's bred in, it was bred in France, so usually French roses will take our heat very well. And um, for we've even had some customers who have who've had it growing in the garden. We had one lady from Adelaide of all places rang up and said she wanted another 40 for a garden. Goodness. I wow. said to her, why? She said, because I've got 40 in there already. <laughs> <laughs> and she said she was absolutely wrapped because she can go and cut the long stems and put it in the vase yes. and take it to a church and, and um, of course, she's a hit. Mm. Yes. They are very long. They're, they're probably they're 60 north, centimetres mm. long. Long they're, and straight. Mm, really long. Yes. Mm. And um, it, it's bred by a very unknown French breeder. Okay. And it's described as rich velvet red. So that's firefighter. So it's not as a fundraiser. I just, when I first looked at it, thought, oh, it's a it's going to a CFA, CFA or... fundraiser, mm, but it's not. Yeah. It, it's actually, um, it ha- they haven't publicised it on the label, but there's money go to the um, firefighting people in New South Wales because it was released by Swains. Oh, okay. Right. New South Wales. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, it's a cracker. It is. It's got a wonderful, wonderful perfume. Mm. Mm. And and, and a large size rose. The Mm. the flower in itself is is large, isn't it? Yes. 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 Wow. And have you taken the thorns off that, or is that really not too thorny? No. And they're they're what I call um, itsy bitsy thorns. They're not really. Yeah, they're just here and there, aren't they? Not brutes like some have. And and I've noticed most of them are on the the lower parts of the Mm. stem. So if you were just trying to pick for cut flowers, you're not dealing with thorns virtually at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a, a good rose, a step in the right direction for red, for reds. We've been looking for good red roses roses for years, especially roses that are that um you know healthy. Mm. Yes, yeah. that's the ticket, isn't it? Mm. Nobody wants to be uh, having to worry about pests and diseases on any plants. No, no. Um, it's just a pain in the neck. Mm. So uh, you know, which is one reason why azaleas have really. From certainly from our palate, you know, we haven't used them for years just no. because they are just such a, a a lot of work. Oh, they are, and and it's very difficult to have them looking good. Mm. Mm. So um, yeah, we we tend to avoid them. Mm. Any plant that requires extra maintenance, mm. yes, is cross not it worth off the it. list. Yeah, cross it off. Yeah, we just want the winners. Yeah, the winners. I must say, Graham, talking of red roses, every year at this time, I get so much joy looking at my Dublin Bay out of my kitchen window. Oh, yes, okay, it's just yeah. been a mass of blooms again this year. It yes. just every year, it's just fantastic. Mm. Really mm. performs. It's been. Probably the most consistent um, performing rose in the years that we've been with roses. It's mm. just we get such tremendous reports about it from people. Oh, it's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. Pam, yeah, does it repeat stunning. well for you? Ah, uh, no, it doesn't. Just as the one, the spring, one spring. But okay. but I mean, if you're deadhead, you can mm. maintain that. It, yes. it will go on blooming over quite a, mm. a period time. of time. But unfortunately, mm. it is only the one spring bloom. Mm. But by gee, when it's out, mm. you yeah. know, it's, it's just. Absolutely gorgeous, mm. really gorgeous. Um, and w- if people have got Dublin Bay and they want it to flower on, it's best to trim it back in the old language about nine inches on the stem, not just snap the broom off the top. Yep. Um, which was the old idea of you know um, what they call the dead heading. We call it summer pruning. Mm. And if you can if you can do that, then um, uh, you'll get you'll get a flower back on that stem in fifty days. Okay. Mm. Okay. That's well, what it- they do at, at Flemington. That's what the yep. concept of the Trimming at Flemington. Yep. So. Well, it is a pillar rose, and it does want to mm. shoot up there. Oh, so oh. Um, it does have to have a quite quite a good prune. Yes. Um, you know, otherwise otherwise it's just going to keep going up and up and up. Mm. But mm. Um, yeah, fantastic. Mm. I, I say to our customers, um, roses are bred to be pruned because 
um, in the natural environment, they're grazed by goats, sheep and deer. That's right. And, and, <laughs> and that's what happens. And so they develop thorns to protect themselves. Yep. And, they, you know, animals are so smart. Same thing with, with chooks. They'll pick on the, the top part of the plant where they know the, the best vitamins and mineral are, minerals are. And that's sweet. That is a sweet part of the, yeah, the, the, that tender, taste. Tender shoots and mm. growth. Mm. 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 Sensible. Yes. <laughs> Very. <laughs> mm. Margot, you've brought in such an array of plants this morning. Well, I think we've all got a few. Yeah, I know. Bobs. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I just thought you might um, ask me, you know, what's going, what's selling a lot of. And exactly. I'm finding um, perennials, which this time of year is normal, but people are asking for ground covers. With the dry, they want to cover the ground. Okay. Mm-hmm. And um, so I can't keep up with that demand. And a um, couple of ones that you may not know about. One is Sanguisorba, which um, I don't know it's got a common name, but you might have seen it in old gardens just as a little wiry weed that sends up these sort of little flat red, dark red flowers. Yeah, they're a bit like ground. raspberries, aren't they? They yeah. look a little bit like raspberries Actually, on Actually, that's stalks. a very good description, mm. yeah, on wiry stalks. Mm. But they've developed now some um, ornamental ones that are much bigger. And this one, Sanguisorba Red Thunder, the good thing about them, lovely fresh foliage, does, doesn't matter how dry it gets, and little flower and flower and flower right up to winter. Hasn't started yet, but, you know, mm. once yes. the summer comes from yep. that Christmas on, it just keeps sending up little wiry stems of raspberries. There it also go. tolerates wet. It tolerates clay. I've got it in uh, a clay, you know, clay yeah. wettish area that's pretty much wet all, all the time, yep. and it just slowly creeps around and covers the ground. Yes. Um, it's a very tough plant. And, and on uh, mass, yeah, really, really good. It does. It looks really good. You can just plant it and forget it virtually. Yeah, and you only actually notice it when it flowers. Yeah. Because it, it then comes up because it sits very low. It sits mm. only, I don't know, maybe 15 centimetres at best. Mm. And uh, But the, when the flowers come up, they're at about, what, 40 centimetres yep. or so. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's a really a, And there's a an really even taller plant. one now. One, it's mm. about over a metre, the flowers. Really? Yeah, with, and, and the sprays of, or the leaves are sort of, you know, quite long as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you need a bit more room for that one. But, mm. um, and the wind might get it a little bit, but um, just, you know, the same sort of toughness. Mm. Um, and the other one that I thought I'd mention on Gardening Australia, for those gardening nuts that watch and listen to everything, um, John Patrick was mentioning the helichrysum or helichrysums, the grey-leafed one, saying how good oh, it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. there's one called limelight, mm. helichrysum petiolare limelight, and it's a goldeny yellow. It's not a yellow. It's sort of more a limey green. Lime, yeah, yeah, it's a limey green colour, yeah. Exactly the same, <clears throat> a felty Very foliage. vivid, isn't it? Mm. Vivid, and if you plant that one in a sort of shadier area, it just romps <clears throat> along over the ground and lights up the area. Oh, yes, mm. and, ideal. Yeah, and if you combine it with... Um, other sort of things with yellow in them, you know, or variegated stuff, just looks sensational. Lovely, you mm. can make lovely combinations. Mm. Mm. And as um, Pat- John Patrick was saying, if you put it in pots, shade pots hanging over the side, it'll just sort of creep down, flow nicely, and mm. complements lots of other things. So. Well, the, the regular PDLR is an incredibly drought tolerant and tough yes. plant, so that that one may be as well. Yeah. I often use it in playgrounds because it's a it's a good plant for. Kids to belt and it comes back. Yeah, it comes uh, back. And yeah, you always want plants that are going to get much bigger mm-hmm. than than they really need yeah. to be in their space in playgrounds because that way yep. they can belt them and they come back up again. Yep. But that's a nice 
it's a nice change from the from the regular one yeah and it's Mm. challenged first to work out how to use it you know what it goes Mm. well with Mm. but um it's a very distinct color isn't it yeah some of those lighter colors you look at in in the garden first off you think oh that plant's crook Yes. Something wrong with it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But this, you would look at that and you say, no, that would be the feature of the plant. Well, it's yeah. vibrant. Yeah. Isn't yes, it, it is. Vibrant. Yeah, yeah. It really lights up a dark shade. Yeah. Go out with your torch of night time, and yeah, yeah, you yeah. Fairies in the garden and <laughs> the limelight. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And snails and things don't seem to worry it. But um, I had it in my old garden. I espaliered it against a side fence. I only oh, had right. a bed that was six inches wide. Yes, <laughs> yeah. and then the garden path. And I just kept chopping off anything that was coming out towards us and encouraging the, sh- the side shoots and up, yeah, yeah. on a bit of a frame. Yeah. Mm. And it was great fun. Mm. Yeah. Really good. The only thing up our way in the frost that it does hit it in the winter. Oh, right. mm-hmm. So it's either, depending on the winter, you might have to buy one every year and um, do that or take some cuttings mm. and uh, sort of protect those through the winter and then plant those out. Mm. Okay. But, um, easy to do cuttings from. So that's helichrysum. I've learned that. I used to say helichrysum, but helichrysum, pediolare, limelight. Excellent. Yeah. But you could combine that with burgundy-coloured plants. would look really mm. good too, mm. wouldn't it? You know, oh, look like it. Like berberus or yes. Oh, yes. anything like Beautiful. that or little heucheras in front of it. Or Yeah, that's mm. the beauty of a colour like that. It will combine so readily mm. with a lot mm. of different colours. Mm. be great. There and used just... to be, uh, in Lean Gatha, uh, there used to be a median strip. I don't know if it's still planted this way. And it was golden diosma, which is not a, everyone's favourite, but it was golden diosma with uh, the golden robinias over the top. Oh, yes. And you'd think, oh, that's too much. But it was actually, it looked amazing yeah. when it was out. It really did look amazing because it was, so, you know, combining it with a similar colour is right. not yeah. always such a bad idea either. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. Okay, we'll go to our first caller. We have Robert down in Phillip Island. Good morning, Robert. Hello, how are you all? We're well. Uh, we had some good rain down here a couple of days ago. Oh, good. Yeah, really, really, really good. So everything's uh, green and... Things have jumped away. Pansies, my word, they like a bit of rain. The pansies, yes, really jumped away. Uh, look, uh, we're talking vegetables. I'm down in the vegetable patch. Picked the last of the uh, cauliflower. gave gave a lovely lady half a cauliflower and some other veggies. What would you plant now? Okay, so I've got a space where the cauliflowers were. What would you folks? talk about now in the vegetable area planting seed and seedlings what would you be putting into your garden at the moment there's a huge range oh, of things now i mean springtime is just you can <clears throat> throw in so many mm. things can't you from the point of view of seeds things that don't need time to come up um uh Let, you know lettuce. all your lettuce all your leafy yep. greens they'll just yep. rock it out of the ground yep. well carrots i'm planting still planting carrots still yep. planting carrots mm. yeah do, do, yep. you, do you find they, they seem to do well with a lot of water? Uh, the, the ones I grow, they seem to love quite a bit of water carrots. I've often wondered, do we underwater carrots? Um, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know that they especially need a lot of water. It depends probably how sandy your soil is, mm. really. Yeah. Uh, mine don't, don't often need that much water to keep them going. Um, and it depends how big you want your carrots, but we sort of pick them right through, you know, yeah. so we pick them from very small. I don't really thin them that much. I thin them as we eat them. Yes, yes, yes. The other, um, putting in some, uh, putting quite a bit of uh, cucumber seed. Oh, yes. And uh, grow about eight, nine different varieties because it's a lovely vegetable to be giving away. 
Yes, true. I, I think one of the joys of growing vegetable is to be able to give some away. Mm. Uh, just to see the pleasure that people get from being given fresh veggies. So what's your opinion on, example, growing your own tomato seedling or buying seedling in the tray, uh, meaning cucumbers and other things? What's your opinion? Do you think the seed you grow does better than the seedling that you buy, say, from the, the uh, uh, shops and such? I I like to grow um, some from seed um, and I raise them as, as seedlings before I put them out into the ground. Uh, but that's because I really like to trial um, different new heirloom vegetables. Well, when they're new, they're old. But <laughs> I like to trial ones I haven't, I haven't um, grown before. So um, because you can't get as much variety in seedlings, I always try and grow a few from seed. But I've done that a lot earlier than now. I think now, because we're really getting into the warm weather and plus the rain, I'd be tending to go more for seedlings at this stage um, so that they're, they're up and, and ready yes. to go. Um, if you do want um, heirloom um, vegetables, diggers are putting out a range of, of actual heirloom seedlings now. They're yes. raising them from seeds. So that's, that's a good way to go if, you, if you're looking specifically for some heirlooms. But, um, yes, if, if you want to do seed, which I, I think is a great uh, – yeah. I personally enjoy doing it, you do need to get onto it early. Yes. Mm. Do, do your folk watch the Vasilio's Garden Show on Wednesday evening? It's a great show. Mm, no, I didn't see it. Oh, it was excellent. There was a gentleman there that, that did most of his growing in pots, uh, large pots in the show. Right. And it opens up a new train of thought, but – that's a great show, Vasilio. He's got a nice personality too. Okay. Excellent. I could thoroughly recommend C31, I think, the show's on. Yes. And it's absolutely uh, excellent. So, all right, I'm stuck into the uh, the vegetable garden. Hopefully I'll have the pigeon loft finished shortly. Okay. So I'll have some beautiful pigeons coming and I'll see them up in the sky with all their colours flying around. Wonderful. And, and great, great pigeon land. manure, mate. What's that? Great pigeon manure too. It is good stuff. <laughs> yeah, it? good brew. Yeah. Oh, you know all the good poos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, thanks very much, and we'll okay. catch you all later. Okay, thanks, Robert. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, next up we have uh, Dave, who's out in Frankston. Good morning, Dave. Uh, good morning, everybody. Now, I've got uh, two trees that have been struggling. One was... Uh, they're about 20 years old, a pear tree and a liquid amber. Good news on the pear uh, tree front, that's starting to blossom and starting to leave, uh, not blossom, but starting the leaves are starting to come out. Now, the liquid amber, it's struggling to almost send out some new leaves or something. Is it because it's been dry over that cold period and and it hasn't got enough water or can I add some nitrogen to it just to give it a kick on? How big is the tree? The tree is probably about uh, 15, 20 feet high. I noticed my liquid amber is a little bit thin this Mm. year Um, and I don't know whether it's it's because it was a dry start to spring and and it's just taken a while to get going or if the possum that zooms up and down that side of uh, our property, whether or not he's taking a liking to it and took out 
uh, because they love liquid ambers. I've seen a lot of liquid ambers be killed with possums. Mm. Uh, so it could be that. But um, I did yeah. notice mine was looking a bit thin this year. Yeah, I've noticed a few. Yeah. They're just not leafing up mm. as well as they usually mm. do. So maybe they're just still coming. Still coming, but it's amazing. On the other side of the fence, just a couple of houses down, there's an old liquid amber there, leaves all over it, but it might be another different type of liquid amber. Mm. But if I add a little bit of nitrogen or something to it, would that help just to give it a little kick on? Not, not too much. Not too much. No, I've lost a liquid, big liquid amber in my garden, yeah. and we had... Um, uh, the liquid amber must be 30 years old, but it, it, it got very sort of s- soft and, and pendulous. So we had a, a, actually had an arboriculturist in, and he did some tr- trimming around the tree itself. All right. And, um, and he trimmed out what started to droop as, as soft growth. Yeah, they do get a disease, and I just off the top of my head can't remember exactly what it is, but they do get a disease that, that can cause um, softness in the timber. Mm, mm. And uh, But it's usually with a much older tree than what you're talking about. Mm. Um, but I've seen a couple be taken out because of that. Yes. And there are a lot of trees throughout Melbourne that would have been planted in the 50s and 60s mm. yes. that are all now getting to that age, yes. I think, because they were a very easy plant to grow because they self-sow so easily. So there's lots of them around. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that, that could be a problem as well. You'll see some weeping out of parts of the tree, sap weeping out. Um, it, well, I haven't noticed any of that. I'm just looking at it, and it's just where, you know, the leaves are supposed to come out. There's just little f- green fibres right at the end. Now, do I just keep the watering up there still? Or it hasn't been um, clogged up with the, the rain lately or anything, but... Uh, mm. Do I still keep the water up? Do you always water it? Have you always watered the tree? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I just yeah, always water the tree, mm. uh, you know, once a week or something like that. Right. But this is the first year that it has it. Uh, it's almost like it's trying to break out, but it's just it's nothing much happening. What about some plant starter that oh. might just stimulate the roots to um, put on some new growth? Mm. Yeah. And, um, but like you said, it has been very strange year for mm. trees. Some trees are blossom, uh, blossom, you know, the blossom, and other trees are, uh, you know, they don't know what they ha- what's happening. Mm. I rather like Margot's idea, and I think you could use some liquid seaweed in a watering can yeah. and water it in and around the roots. Mm. Now, that liquid seaweed has that got a bit of nitrogen in it? No. Oh no. No, it hasn't. No. All right. Okay. No, just a watering can around the roots, and and do that once a week for the next four weeks, and see how you go. Yeah, and when the soil warms up, it that yeah, might kick it off. Yeah, make a I, I think. Too. I think. Yeah, mm. I, I personally wouldn't interfere with it too much. I think it is a seasonal thing, mm. um, and I think you'll find, as you said, once the warmer weather, you know, really kicks on, it'll mm. it'll um, it'll sprout forth. Mm. But can you believe that the pear tree? You know, just the leaves are starting to break out now, yes. and we, you know, we're nearly uh, coming, you know, near the end of the year. Mm. It's amazing, isn't it? Yes. Anyway, yeah. uh, it looks like it's going to be a good gardening day, doesn't it? Certainly oh, is. Cracker. Anyway, yeah. thanks a lot. Okay. Bye. Bye. Evan, let's have a quick chat about a couple of the things you've brought in while we've got uh, the chance. Well, I brought in. Um, a little heuchera, which would be um, quite nice under Graham's rose. Um, 
This is a hickory you don't see around a lot, but um, it is it is commercially available. It's a it's a green leafed one. So all the rage with hickories is to have the big burgundy leaved ones, uh, but the big burgundy leaved ones all have white flowers, <clears throat> and they can be a little bit insipid, mm. really. So you're really only growing them for the foliage. This one, uh, which is hickory firefly. Um, has green foliage and uh, it forms a nice little uh, round perennial, little ground cover, um, more or less evergreen. Um, and then it has these wonderful little uh, spikes that come up that are about 30 centimetres tall and they're a very similar colour to to Graham's rose. They're, mm. they're that sort of deep red. Um, and they have just these wonderful little pendulous uh, bells on them. Um, and on mass, so it, oh, it doesn't have to be a huge amount, but you know, a square meter or so, so maybe about twelve plants or so. Um, it's just a great little plant to um, come up in the garden and give a little bit of colour at this time of mm. year. Um, I have mine uh, near uh, aquilegias, blue aquilegias right. that come up every year, and it does look quite good with those. Yes, it would. Um, but they're they're a wonderfully um, drought tolerant little perennial as well, the heucheras. Um, so you don't really need to mollycoddle them. Um, they'll survive a lot. Um, you just have to get them going. Once they're going, they're, they're as happy as anything. And they're a great um, ground cover, aren't they? And in mm. between the roses, you say, yeah. en masse, they look sensational. Yeah. yeah. Very, very good. And the, um, the foliage is mm. fantastic. You get lots of different colours. And mm. it's frost hardy. You can grow as much around So we do sell a lot of those. <laughs> right. A lot of heucheras. Yeah, I often use the burgundy-leaved heucheras, like plum pudding and so on, because they're just... They're, they're wonderful against such as against your helichrysum. Well, there's and, a mustard one now as well. Okay. Mustard-coloured one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it's called marmalade. Okay. okay. Like that. So, <laughs> and if you have patches of each one, mm. it looks great. Yes, mm. it can look really, really good. Um, yeah, so that, that's just a wonderful little one. Um, I think it's worth looking out for just because it is different. Mm. Um, uh, and it's been around a long time. It's a really reliable flower. doesn't need much attention. And uh, you don't have to do any pruning or anything to it. The, the shrub itself, I guess, I guess, gets up about 15 centimetres at best. And the flowers are on these lovely wiry stems that are bare for the first uh, 20, 25 centimetres. And then you have sort of 10 centimetres of, of these draping bells. Mm-hmm. Well, they're drooping a little bit more because I picked it last night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a wonderful, wonderful little heuchera. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. And one more there? Uh, well, I brought, in, um, I brought in a poa, um, which I have planted underneath a little ginkgo, uh, a group of ginkgos. So this is called snowgrass, this one. And it's a, if people know Festuca glauca, which is a very common sort of blue grass, um, this is about 10 times better than, than that. Festuca glauca tends to, uh, you really need to divide it regularly to keep it going because they do tend to fizzle out. Uh, whereas this one is... Probably about uh, twice as tall. Um, it's got that same beautiful deep, uh, beautiful blue colour. It's probably a little bit brighter in the blueness. It's already flowering, so it's sending up lovely uh, long flowers. And the beauty of it too is once these flowers develop, they have little plantlets on the end of them. Oh. So in the autumn, you can just pull them off and replant them. Wow. And so you can fill up an area really, yes. really quickly with Fantastic. them. And it's, and it's really, really easy to do. 
Um, so you just pull them off and just poke them into the ground and they grow. The, the, the plant will do it themselves. The plant will lay its flowers okay. down and they will take on their own. Yep. Uh, but not so much that it becomes weedy. Right. <clears throat> because it, it doesn't sort of fly around. They're just, you know, exactly where you need them. Um, so it's snowgrass. It's Poa Siberiana. And it's a, a variety called Sinophila. So it's a CY, Sino. Um, yeah, it's just a, a wonderful grass. I've had it for a long time just as, as, as two or three plants in the garden on top of a retaining wall, uh, just as a little ground cover. And that's in very sandy ground and it does really well. And now where I have it, it's in uh, much heavier ground and it's doing really well there. And so it's in a fair adaptable. bit of, Very adaptable and yep. it's in a fair bit of shade as well now um, and it's just looking magnificent. So... Um, yeah, I really, really think it's a great plant. You don't see it around a lot, but uh, there are a few growers of it, and uh, it's it's worth asking for. I think if you're wanting to have a blue, blue grass ground cover, but it's such a pronounced <coughs> colour, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I love the colour it of is. it. It's unique. Yeah, it is. yeah, it yeah. Is. It's matching unique. your shirt very well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> always come in colour coordinated. <laughs> Good for radio. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah, so. Uh, so that that is just a really wonderful plant. I could. Uh, this is good for radio too because I can show you a picture of it, uh, oh, which the then you can then you can describe, describe. to the to the listeners. Um, but He's there got it his is. iPad here, folks. There it is underneath. Oh the, no, it's gone. Locked that. It's gone. The, oh, there you go. Oh, See, no. I can't use this. My daughter's <laughs> iPad. <laughs> Technology. But Evan, yeah. I've been. Um, Dying to hear what your latest project is because when Evan comes in, Pam doesn't he? He's always, he always has, has a project, exciting projects on yeah. the go, schools and yeah. You know, uh, the the one we've eggs and <laughs> the one we've got going on at the moment is is a really interesting project, and we've got a few on, but um, the largest one is uh, um, in Ballarat. Um, it's in a new suburb of Ballarat. Um, which is just, if you just go through the avenue of honour, or the arch rather, Mm -hmm. just go through the arch, it's on the left there, there's a whole brand new estate. Uh, So, and it's called Lucas. And uh, we're doing the the gardens around a new community centre, playground, you know, early learning centre, and a little park next to it, um, and a pedestrian link and so on. So it's it's a lovely big project. Um, and it's been really interesting in that, you know, sort of researching what Lucas is. Um, so Lucas was actually the name of a, a fabric company in Ballarat in the 1800s. It was started by a lady who couldn't buy clothes for her children. I think she was a single mum, needed work. Um, so started making uh, children's clothes um, in her back room and it grew into a business that had over 400 employees. Gosh. And it's only actually recently closed down, only maybe 10 years ago. Okay. But um, so they were the first in Australia to produce the permanent pleat. Oh. Uh, so that, that's been a really good inspiration for, for the garden design, uh, you know, particularly around the building. Are, having... we, are we having to play on words and doing pleated trees? <laughs> no, it's pleached, oh. I think. Well, pleached, yes. Close. No, no we're having um, you know, patterns in the paving and, and some walling and so on oh, and some, some shapes underneath seats that, that, are, that are that pleated colour, uh, that pleated shape. Yep. Yeah, you know, those couple of different pleats. Okay. Um, which sort of trying to work in large uh, cotton bobbins and, and things oh, like fantastic. that into it as well. So it's been a really fun project. And the playground too, because 
we, we decided to spend some time at Sovereign Hill and there's so many cool things at Sovereign Hill that you can use in a playground, mm. um, you know, like tents instead of shade sails, you know, the tents that they used to have over the, the mining holes, um, the hubs out of the wagon wheels that they make every day for display. They're a really cool shape and, think you know, you can do things with those. Um, mining pans right. know, make great symbols yes. <laughs> for, for belting and uh, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's a really, really fun project um, and it, it won't be built for another year or so. Um, we haven't finished the design. We're just in design development at the moment, so it takes a while. Um, but, yeah, I've got one going on in Maribyrnong and, and Strathmore as well um, and... One we did a few years ago that it was in Melton that, that was really well received that actually made a final um, for sustainable uh, building awards. So we had a trip to Sydney earlier, uh, about a month ago. Um, it didn't win. Burnley Rooftop Garden won. Uh, well, yeah, yeah but yeah, you were a finalist. Was, well, so we were a finalist. So yes, wasn't good, too good. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Got, Got got the trip, so that was that was great. So yeah, so it's been really good. Mm. Yeah, there are some interesting things on mm. the go. When you talk about about um, <clears throat> cotton reels, that um, immediately brought to mind um, many long years ago. I was helping to um, to set up a childcare centre and play equipment, and we used to be able to get hold of all the old cable reels. Um, yes. huge oh, wooden yeah. cable yep, reels, yep. but they look like giant. They cotton do. reels, yeah. and the kids love them. They can clamber all over them and yes, roll them around. Yeah, they're around still popular. You still yeah, see them in really? playgrounds. Yes, okay. yes, yeah, it's still popular. Yeah, excellent. Mm. Yeah, so no, so that that's that's a that's a really fun project. And the other thing that the Lucas people did was they started the Avenue of Honor. Oh, so really? the Lucas ladies, as they as they're known, because they were mostly a, a woman uh, workforce, um, they used to do a lot of fundraising. And they were the people who instigated the Avenue of Honour, and they still run it today, essentially. Wow! Yeah, so you know, do, they're still doing fundraising. They're still replanting, but they actually physically planted it. Wow! A lot of gosh. it. Yeah, so Gee. huge history. Oh yes. gosh! Yes. From from that that factory, which is great for doing a design for. Yep. Because there's so much to draw on. Yes, of course. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah. That's good. Okay, you are listening to the Three CR Gardening Show. We're running through until nine fifteen, our usual time slot. But I'm delighted to say now that uh, we've been joined in the studio by David DeAngelis. Welcome back, David. Good morning, Pam. And the fact that you're in the studio means that uh, two years has gone by since you were here yes. last, <laughs> I think, uh, because, of course, the Mullen Mullen Festival is coming up, isn't it? That's right. Uh, we're a little bit later than uh, usual this year. So usually the festival follows a pattern of two autumn and two spring festivals, and that's so people who come along get a feel for the plants and animals that are around at different times of year um, and this year is the first of two spring festivals okay um, so, yeah. so we've cut out the autumn festival well last year we had autumn so oh. yeah, the previous two years have been autumn right but, uh, yeah and this uh, festival it's probably the latest that uh, we've had a Mullamullum festival um, so the following two weekends 14th 15th 21st and 22nd of November. Okay. So, fingers crossed, maybe the weather might be a little kinder to you too. Yes. uh, uh, Without any rain this year, uh, fingers crossed, um, it uh, might be a little bit hot, if anything. uh, I'm sure people can cope. (laughs) 
So the the whole idea of the festival is basically to celebrate the ecological and cultural significance of the Mullumullum Creek Valley, isn't it? Yes. So um, as usual, our our opening day, uh, which is on the fifteenth on Sunday, um, focuses mainly on Aboriginal culture and, her- and heritage. Heritage. Uh, the following weekend, the twenty first and the twenty second, um, has more of an environment focus. Mm. Now, just again, a very extensive program. I don't know how you've managed to get it all together, David, for these festivals, but some really stunning things. And I must say, we we should point out to listeners that uh, day one, there's something quite exciting for people to do if they're interested at all in uh, astrology. Yes, so uh, astronomy. So we've got our astronomy night uh, on the 14th of November. Uh, so that's, that's the first event uh, that takes place. Um, and fingers crossed that uh, the weather holds up on that night. That, uh, well, as long as we don't have clouds, we'll be right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, 7.30 till 10 o'clock. That's right. Uh, at Luther College uh, in Croydon. Okay. So that's, that's actually in Plymouth Road, yes. Croydon. Yeah. Now, do people need to book? Uh, so for, for some of the events, uh, we request uh, that people do book uh, so that we can manage numbers. Others, uh, there's no booking required. Um, but if people are able to uh, get onto the festival website uh, and have a look at the program, you know, you'll be able to find out which, which of the particular uh, walks and events require a booking. Fair um, enough, yep. Yeah. Um, just uh, run us through day two, which is, as you said, the festival opening day, um, and this is really concentrating on, on Aboriginal culture. Um, some of the workshops and, and happenings are just amazing. Run through a few of the highlights for listeners. Yeah, so we start uh, with a Welcome to Country by Auntie Diane Kerr, Wawandri Elder. Um, and then the official opening uh, this year is uh, by Karina Ritchie and Paul Gorry from an organisation called SEED, uh, which is an Aboriginal youth uh, climate change organisation. Okay. Uh, So it sort of fits in with the sustainability and environment theme as well. Um, And then afterwards, uh, dance and song performances. So Monica Waitman, uh, singer-songwriter, and Damien uh, Nicholson, uh, who will be doing a, uh, a Wanjiri eagle dance. Uh, oh, wow. With, with didgeridoo. Um, and then later on uh, in the afternoon, art and craft workshops. Uh, so Judy Nicholson, James Simmons uh, doing that. Uh, now, it, it says here with the, with, with the art and craft workshops, um, there's going to be a range like basket weaving, ochre painting. There you go, Evan. Uh, <laughs> boomerang, clapstick, spear making. I mean, that's fantastic. And they can help you to start on your own project that you can finish at home. Yes, yeah. So uh, uh, clapstick uh, making uh, will have bits of bark, uh, so uh, p- particularly for uh, kids that come along, um, they, they can do that. Um, and then afterwards, um, so not just, uh, uh, although I mentioned the main focuses on Aboriginal culture and heritage, uh, on that particular day, um, we do have a, a few other events uh, as well related to environment. 
um, so a presentation and demonstration on wildlife sound recording. Ah. Uh, Andrew Skeo, who's a, a well-known wildlife sound recordist, um, and displays by a community of Ringwood Indigenous Plant Nursery. Um, uh, Ruth Jackson, who's a, a legally blind uh, botanical artist, mm. uh, she'll have some of her uh, illustrations. Wow. On okay. Yeah. You sort of wonder how she can manage to do that. Yeah. That's Stunning. Uh, yeah, from from what I've seen, uh, I, I haven't seen too much of her work. Uh, a, a little bit. We've had a bit of a preview and uh, spectacular. Uh, yeah, what 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 she can do? Uh, yeah, even though she's legally blind. Wow, wow. Now we move then to to the following weekend, which is twenty first, twenty second of November. And as you say, this has got much more of a ecological focus to it. But again, it covers such a wide range of of topics and workshops and walks. Um, fill us in on some of those. So we've got um, presentations, uh, walks on fairly broad uh, topics. Um, so I mentioned, um, uh, well, Andrew Skio, but that's, that's on the opening day, so on the 15th. Uh, but then the following weekend, uh, we've got uh, some walks that we've had at previous festivals and have been some of the more uh, long-term events that we've put on, like walking the length, the length. of the Mullamullam Valley, which is I, I must say, done in two one. parts, yes. probably, yeah. thank goodness. <laughs> How far? Over both <laughs> days. Uh, so uh, part one uh, sort of starts uh, at the headwaters uh, of the Mullamullam Creek, um, and it's about eight and a half kilometres, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, around about four, uh, five hours uh, for the uh, 21st of November. Um, and that, uh, well, that walk's led by uh, a well-known local naturalist uh, and ecologist, Ken McGuinness, uh, and he's been leading that walk, uh, mm. I think, almost since the festival's inception. Um, and then he goes on to the 22nd, uh, the next day, uh, sort of about midway uh, down to the Yarra, Tikalara, where the Mullum uh, meets the Yarra. Um, and I think that one's a little bit longer. I can't find the distance. Oh, there we are. Um, so uh, about seven hours, 13 kilometres yes. on the Sunday. Yes, yeah. fantastic. But there's also um, specific events for children. Yes. Uh, I noticed, so for we... instance... Uh, on the Saturday, uh, there's a nature scavenger hunt uh, right. for, yeah. for children aged 5 to 12. The uh, Pauline from the Lower Templestowe Scout Group, uh, she's uh, done that one for us before. So uh, kids will be tasked with uh, uh, finding various objects that they've uh, been sort of given clues okay. to, uh, to find and uh, within a certain time and they have to sort of find as many of them as they can, uh, things like feathers and uh, yes. sticks and uh, cones and seeds wow. and that sort of thing. Now, um, some of the presentations, for instance, you've got um, a walk and talk on the life of the short-beaked echidna. Um, you've got a short walk followed by a talk and a moth survey after dark, all on moths and their caterpillars. I mean, it really covers an amazing range of subjects. Yeah, so they're, they're uh, some of the more specific uh, walks and presentations. Yes. Uh, so uh, particularly uh, uh, moths. We've, we've got uh, one on reptiles as well. 
uh, Nick Clemen, research associate at the museum. Uh, Steve Williams is our moth guru. Okay. Um, and that, that one will be particularly uh, interesting. So as well as a presentation... Um, and uh, uh, he'll give a talk and do a bit of a walk uh, while there's still enough light to see where we're going. Uh, afterwards, once it gets dark, we'll uh, check our light sheet. Um, so a, a white sheet with a, a, a tube or a, a work light. Okay. Uh, backlit. Attract them uh, all to it. Uh, yeah, and uh, hopefully uh, Steve will be able to identify uh, a lot of what... Uh, what arrives. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, great idea. Yes, fantastic. And, and of course, you're also covering things like um, powerful owls in suburbia, uh, the wonderful world of swamp wallabies. Um, but also, also you get down to some more serious sessions like, um, like a presentation on local conservation and a warming climate. Yes, so we're covering both uh, biodiversity issues and a broader sustainability focus. So, mm. Yeah, but all all uh, centred around the, the Mullum Mullum Valley area. Um, so the the things like the powerful owl presentation, uh, swamp wallabies, their species that are resident within the valley, um, and things like. Uh, a powerful owl, um, which is a threatened species. Uh, so they're a really important one for uh, people to know about and uh, sort of part of the reason why the, uh, the Mullum, Mullum Festival came about originally uh, when the, the freeway, uh, Eastern Freeway proposal was uh, put forward. Yes, yes, yeah. which luckily we got the tunnel. <laughs> yes, that, uh, that, that was the better, better of the, uh, the available options. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now... I'm amazed because cost to participate in, in, in any one of these events is simply a gold coin donation. Yes, yeah. So it's uh, essentially free or we do ask uh, to attend each uh, walk or presentation uh, if people are able to uh, uh, donate a gold coin, $2 donation per event. That's um, fantastic yeah. because hopefully that really encourages a lot of people to, to get along there and to bring children. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and, and the audience is fairly broad. So every year we have families uh, with younger children and, and uh, as I mentioned, so there are uh, events including on the opening day to cater for children. Um, so some of the, the walks uh, as well, things like Echidna and Swamp Wallaby, um, uh, right up to, uh, um, you know, elderly and, and retirees. Uh, mm, yeah. Fantastic. Now... Obviously, the best thing for people to do, because it's such a, a, a very broad program, is to jump onto the website. Um, what's the website yes. again, David? Uh, which is mullumfestival.org.au. Uh, and Mullum is spelt with a double L. Double, double L, that's M-U-L-L-U-M. M-U-L-L-U-M. So by the time you do Mullum Mullum, yeah, yeah. you've got two L's, two M's, two yeah, L's. Tongue twister. It is a bit. But, uh, but yeah. um, fantastic. Do you get any support from um, local government? Yes. So we have uh, three supporting councils. So three municipalities uh, through which the Mullum Mullum Valley occurs. Right. Yes. Uh, so they're Maroondah Council, uh, City of Whitehorse um, and City of Manningham. Okay. So they uh, uh, support the festival financially as well. Mm. So if people um, 
don't have access to to a computer. Um, are there any printed programs like in local libraries or council chambers? Or? That's right. Yes. So uh, li- libraries uh, in all three municipalities have copies, hard copies of the program Wonderful. available, yeah, and community centres as well. Yes. So, yeah. Fantastic. So it all starts next weekend and then the following weekend That's as well. Right. Yeah. Two over two full weeks. You must have a very active committee. Yeah, luckily, uh, yes. So it's uh, it, it is a, a group effort uh, to get the the festival uh, sort of functioning and rolling over from one year to the next. Um, but uh, yeah, everyone sort of works uh, well together, and uh, there are people with sort of different areas of uh, expertise that they can contribute. I noticed yeah. you're not doing anything with frogs this no, year. No, that's uh, my my favourite bias. <laughs> uh, no, nothing on uh, on frogs this year but uh yes if i if i if i was uh, tasked with choosing my uh, my favorite walk although i don't necessarily want to do that uh we we've, we've got reptiles this year which is probably particularly fitting given it'll be uh, a little bit later in spring right um so uh, you know even if we do get a bit of warm weather uh, at least it uh, should hopefully bring some of the, the local reptiles out uh, yes for that one okay fantastic <laughs> Well, all the very best with the festival. I hope a lot of people come along and support it because it is just an amazing way of learning a lot more about um, not only Aboriginal culture but, but the whole ecology of the Mullum Creek Valley. And, uh, you know, if, if people, particularly local people, if they've never had the experience of, of a guided walk into into the Mullum Valley at all, um, this is an ideal opportunity to just see what's on your back doorstep. Exactly, and uh, it, it is surprising sometimes. Uh, you know, even local people, if they don't sort of get out into the bush uh, all that often, uh, you know, not uh, necessarily realising that there are things like powerful owls and platypus in the creek. And, yes, uh, you know. fantastic. Uh-huh. Well, all the best and congratulations to the committee on, on pulling off yet another festival. I think it's wonderful. Thanks very much, Ben. Okay, <laughs> thanks, David. Thanks. Um, we are, of course, listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Uh, we're running through until 9.15, so if you'd like the chance to quickly phone in with a query, do give us a call. We've got Margot MacDonald from the Garden Tap Nursery. We've got Evan Golke from Ochre Landscapes, and we've got Graham Sargent from Silky's Rose Farm in Clonbernane. So do give us a call. The number is 94190155. Or if you'd like to speak to Virginia on the outside line, 94198377. We'll go first up to uh, Bill, who's out in Pasco Vale. Good morning, Bill. Oh, good morning. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. It's a question about weeds. I'm collecting them and putting them in, in um, like a big bin of water. I'm wondering how long I need to submerge them to make sure that all the you know, weed seeds de- deteriorated in the, in the water or if that's possible at all. Yeah, I wouldn't do that uh, personally, but I guess you can do that and then sift, sieve it. Probably, mm. um, it depends what you're putting in there. I, I wouldn't have thought I wouldn't put weed seeds in there. I don't think. I, I think they they would just carry on probably. So I would too. Be, Normally, you need heat, high yeah. heat, to kill well, off your weed seeds. I can't get the seeds. compost quite hot enough. I don't think I've tried different methods, but that's, I was just thought the, the idea was I thought that eventually they'd deteriorate in the water, but. Well, they probably would eventually. I guess what you could do is just put it through cloth and make, you know, 
or put put them in a uh, like a, a hessian uh, bag yeah or mm. even a finer bag like a mm. shopping bag mm. not one of the ones that are plastic lined but one of those uh uh what do they call it calico bags one of those mm. calico bags i've done that before so put them all in there mm. and then put that in the water yes but so that's that you going can to be an arduous them. job i'd be inclined mm. to chop all the seeds off and then i mean obviously mm. the weeds going into the water is going to make wonderful um compost you tea. know mm. tea yes mm. to mm. put on the garden but i i personally wouldn't be adding the seeds no and i think it'd be a lot quicker uh, on your um you know labor time to actually just take off the weeds off the seeds first mm. and then and then put the weeds in or bulbs Mm, yeah. Take bulbs out. Yeah, as take well. bulbs out as well. Mm. You can get hessian bags from some feed stores. There's still hessian yeah. bags about, mm. and you could put the weeds in it. I, I use that as a tea, and um, and you dunk the whole hessian the bag whole in. I tie it up with a bit of baler twine or a bit of bit of uh, string. Yes, and dunk it, and I leave it for about five weeks, and you can water it down um, about ten to one, and use it as a tea on your compost heap. And I've been successful with. Um, um, Getting mineral deficiencies in roses corrected by using that tea on on mm. over the roses themselves. Yeah, and then that. the stuff in the hessian bag, you just throw that out. Yeah, just yes. it. chuck it in the rubbish tin. Or you can just—I uh, actually throw a lot of weeds on the lawn and then just mow it. <laughs> and, mm. and because most of the weeds that are in the garden won't really do much in your lawn anyway. Even if they mm. do shoot, they won't last because you're mowing it so short all of the time. So most, again, most I wouldn't of those be adding lots of seed weed. I don't have lawns, so I'm not worried. About no, you don't. Okay, have that's lawn, fine. Yeah. That's fine. And a quick question about the... I've got a plum tree that's been in the backyard. They've been here for nearly 20 years now. Do they each have a limited lifespan? I noticed this year the plums are very few on, on the tree. They're like little tiny cherry plums. I think they're a very long-lived tree, yeah. mm. plum trees. I think it's just a year very old because ones. we've had no water. You know, mm. I think we're going to have a lean year for fruit mm. generally because... Uh, that goes um, biannually. You'll have one huge year for fruiting and then the trees might have a bit of a rest. Yeah. So I would say this year might be a rest year. It helps if you thin them a little bit, yeah. a, a plum. So if you don't leave all the fruit on on those big years, mm-hmm. then you, you get a more consistent well, bearing. Well, if the big tree has been here since we bought the place and, and I just noticed that slowly the, what do you call it, the, the amount of, of fruit deteriorating in this year, it's very poor. You know, and I... I don't think it's a water problem because I have, you know, the gutters diverted to, to water the backyard mm. off the mm. roof. The luck, the luck of the draw is pollination when you get your blossom. Mm. And if you yeah. get, you know, really disturbed weather when you've got blossoms on your, on your tree, you'll, you'll, you know, reduce your, your, your um, number of um, plums uh, according to the weather. Mm. Okay? Thank you, Dick. All right, okay. thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Right, next up we have Hugh in the Yarra Valley. Morning, Hugh. Victoria, good morning. Pano, good morning. Everybody, good morning. Have a lovely day. Hi, Hugh. <laughs> yes. Um, there is this lady there, Margot. That voice, I can't get over it. I used to go tap dancing in my younger days. Oh, my Lord. And there was a lady and she had exactly the same voice. And I just can't get out of it, over it. For a long time, I've been thinking, I heard that voice before. And all I can come up with that it was decades ago at tap dancing club. Well, it just may have. I've been tap dancing for many years. (laughs) Yeah, it's decades ago. And that Mm. voice, anyway, my question is now about roses, number one. 
um, Dr. Graham was talking about his miniatures and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I have had problems with that several times. I've been talking to roast companies and say, you never really advertise properly roses for tubs and things like that. Mm -hmm. And when people hear miniatures, you can have a big bush and it has a miniature rose. And the people relate miniature rose rather to the size of the flower than the height of a plant. Yes. And I have several times, there's one company in Warnerburg or wherever it is, and I said to him, you have this beautiful catalog, but you should have one uh, section in it just for people who are in flats and units and things like that. That's why the Begonia company grew so fast, because they have these little plants, and you have them in hanging baskets, you have them here, there, and everywhere. They don't take any space away, but the industry in the rose-growing industry is just not waking up to that. That is my one problem. Number two problem I have is I'm holding up in my a booklet in front, uh, I'm holding it up to the microphone. Can you see it? It's called Gardener's Gazette. It is uh, published by the um, uh, Royal Horticultural Society, and it is the summer 2013 edition. And there is a, an article in it by Jane Edmondson, <clears throat> and it is from a, from a huge rose garden in the Mali, which is somewhere outside the Mildura, and they have thousands and thousands and thousands of roses there. And there is one picture in it. Graham, this is another subject. The rose industry is neglecting. You know there is one company and it has the three arches. And this picture reminds me on the three arches of this particular company we, have, we see on the streets here, there, and everywhere. It is... Uh, a picture of uh, an half arch, perhaps three, four meters high. The picture only shows the two half arches, the one from the right-hand side, half, and the one from the left-hand side of the arch. And in the bottom of it is a rose bed full of red roses, and it is the arches coming up and as i said three four meters high up there is no bare stem at the bottom of the arch so i assume it is a row of arches right um uh, and it it is full it, it looks like about 75 centimeters in diameters maybe a meter in diameter the whole column of um, oh gosh, it reminds me in a way on the Eiffel Tower. You know the, the, these huge arches, now just 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 full of roses, and at the bottom of it is these these this this big flower bed, and um, you hear pillow roses and you hear climbing roses, and so on and so forth. But there is never really anything that pre that. I wanted to make an obisk, and 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 uh, then um, I've seen something like that in Europe. You know, um, that really frightens me. That um, my climbing roses—they're so bare at the bottom. So I'm planting no other roses in front of it to overcome that. 
Right. Well, if you want to, if you want to fill an arch right up to the base, it's a matter of selecting the roses for that job, and you would mainly get that effect with roses that are are ramblers. Ramblers. And they've lost a lot of popularity because most ramblers only just flower once a year. Well, okay. Well, that's another question. What if I took, say, a rambler? to fill in the spaces rather than the flower and take another one that is a multi-flowering a year and maybe a climber, have, say, a white and a red together over one arch. We're talking of an arch, as I said, perhaps with a six-meter span, maybe more, yes. three, four meters high, and the, the, the actual arch is about a meter in diameter, it, it, it's just phenomenal. If you ever get hold of it, it's a Jane, Art, Jane Edmondson article in this publication as I've been talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, that out of the way, I have another problem for you, Dr. Graham. That is my Raubritter. Now, years ago, I used to go to the Raubritter Society, and there was a, a person and had Raubritter roses. Does the name mean anything to you? Yes, he's a breeder. It's a quartz roses. Quartz yes. roses. Yeah, that's another breeder. Yeah. Well, anyway, this rope. So I found a company in the Yuk, and they and I bought these roses, and they came, and they all wanted to grow to the SEC wires to the top. So I rang the company back, and I said, Raubritter is supposed to be a rose that is." cascading, not going to the SEC wires. And they said, oh, we sent you the wrong rose. You got Sissinghurst. I didn't want Sissinghurst. Then the company there didn't exist anymore. All of a sudden, I tried and shopped around. And eventually, I got the delivery of 10 Raubritter roses. And they're flowering beautifully. But they're 75 centimeters high. Are they going to go like the Sissinghurst to the SEC? I want them to cascade. Right. How long has um, how long has the rose been in? No, no, no. Mm. I got them only um, four or five months mm. ago. Right. And then I said to you, should I put them in the ground first? And then I rang you up and you said, I'll put them in a pot. And then when Christmas comes, you put them in the ground. Mm-hmm. Now, will they grow first 75 centimeters high or thereabouts, right? Two feet, something like that. And then fall over and cascade down? Mm. Um, Hugh, I, I really believe the, the best thing that you could do is make contact with, with, with Mr. Thomas for Roses. Thomas for Roses in South Australia. Thomas? For Roses. Thomas Roses. Contact Mr. Thomas, and he will. Um, he specialises in these sort of roses. He's been doing that, this for years and years and years, and he would be the best, best advisor in Australia for Australian conditions. Have you got a telephone number? No, I haven't got one with me, Hugh. But if you get someone to look it up on the net, Thomas for Roses, you'll be able to get his number there. Is that somewhere I used to live in? I had a contract when I came to Australia. I was never a migrant in the true sense. I, I came to Australia on a contract basis. Uh, is that anywhere near uh, Villanga? He's in, he's in the Adelaide Hills. 
in the Adelaide Hills. Yes. Ah, good. Um, okay. And what am I going to do now with the Robredo roses I have? Um, they're going to flower, and you were saying, do summer pruning, cut the flowers off? Trim them off, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and then very, very briefly, the um, I wanted to give congratulations to the friends of the Royal Botanic Gardens. Uh, I went to their sale, and it was just fantastic. The way it was organized. Uh, I took a lot of money, and brother, did I need it. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to buy only two plants, and I finished off with a big trolley full. And they weren't exactly the cheapest ones either. So congratulations to the fantastic organization, to the people there at the um, what is it, Botanical Gardens. Okay. Okay. We must move on, Sorry, Hugh. Pam. Uh, I'm glad you didn't put the dump button. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Right, we're going next to uh, Fred, who's in Devon Meadows. Good morning, Fred. Good morning. Morning. Uh, I've got. A, uh, I don't know what to do with that apple tree I've got. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with it? There's nothing wrong with it, but I've had them in another place, and it got moth. I want to avoid these moths. Coddling Coddling moth. moth. Mm. That's right, yes. Chooks. Pardon? Chooks. Chooks. No, I haven't got any chooks. Well, you should have. Then you won't have (laughs) coddling moth. That's right. (laughs) They'll eat all the little grubs. Is there anything else I can do? You can put banding around the trees with um, some sticky goose because um, when the larvae larvae hatch, they crawl up the tree from the ground. So the, the trick is to catch them on the way up. I'm not sure how. Uh, what you mean? I put stuff around them. Yeah, uh, you can buy sticky goo that you can paint on, or you can buy uh, just cardboard, corrugated corrugated cardboard. cardboard. And the little um, larvae, as they're crawling up, can get caught in there, and then you, you've just got to sort of clean that out so they don't reach your foliage and your apples. And do you have to prune an apple tree at all? No, you don't have to. Because I I, I can't get to the trunk. It, it, uh, it's gone wild a bit. Well, it's probably worth pruning it so you can get to the fruit. I mean, that's there's, there's two reasons I think you prune an apple tree. One one is to get fruit, and one is to sort of try and produce horizontal or pendulous branches. So, if the, the more sort of horizontal branches you have, the better your fruiting will be. Is it too late to prune it now? Oh, look, it depends what you're doing. Well, it's already been in flower, so... It depends why you're pruning it. So if you you want fruit, you would prune all the fruit off. I do get uh, a little bit of fruit, but as as you were saying, I want to get to the trunk. Yeah, well, absolutely. Absolutely You want to lift the skirt up from the ground, is that the idea? You could prune it now, for sure, I would. Yes. No trouble at all. Mm. Yep. Is there anything else I've got to do with it? Well, I'd give it a prune after the flowers. Oh, sorry, after you've picked the apples, give it what we call now a summer prune because that will um, be less vigorous new growth. If you'd give it a heavy prune next winter, you just get a massive new growth on mm. it and now, it'll go straight up. Where you buy up. this stuff to put around the trunk? Uh, any nursery or garden centre. Well, they've got it. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's all. I won't take up any more of your time. Okay. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Right, uh, next up we have uh, Lynn, who's out in Blackburn. Good morning, Lynn. Good morning. I was wanting a little bit more information on the helichrysum limelight. Yeah? Will it grow in a, a, a sunny spot? Look, it will, but what I find happens that the limey colour 
in the hot, hot weather, in the hot sun, yeah. can make it turn a little bit of a brassier, yellow sort of colour. And I right. think it sort of, it just deteriorates it a bit. It just doesn't it's look as fresh. Trees. Yeah, that would be fine. Yes, and it gets quite a bit of afternoon sun, particularly in the summer. Yeah. And I thought, oh, I was planning on putting it there, and then I thought, oh, perhaps I better not, when no, I heard what you said. I'd give it a go, but um, after the, you know, in autumn, maybe you can give it a trim. All the, and and how much ground would it cover? Uh, it I think cover it goes a... about one and a half metres. It's, it's, yeah, it's quite okay. big. Yeah, it's quite a sprawler. Mm. Yes, mm. I thought it was, and I thought it grew fairly tall, but this one, everyone is seem, seeming to say that it keeps fairly low. Yes, oh, and you can you can just prune it at any bits off going in the direction you don't want it to go. Oh, sounds yeah, just good. over with the hedge clippers. Mm. And yeah. all right, and the osteospermums that are out now, um, I'd, it's gone rather leggy. Can I trim it now? It's in flower. Yeah, you, you could betcha. trim it any old time. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, then. very tough plant. Good. You take any punishment. Thank you very much. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. A yeah, good plant osteosperm, not used very much anymore oh, because it is a bit ram- you know, yeah. it's rambles everywhere, but uh, you do see it a little bit. We used it at the Kew Cemetery um, okay. just because, you know, we just need things that will survive yeah. yep. and yep. flower well and cover ground, mm. um, and it's been super successful. Mm. Yeah, you see them driving through, through Castlemaine, there's an orange one. And I get asked for it every year, and I think it's just a, a weed. Oh, well, there, there's it's... one called Voltage mm. that is a fairly new one, which is more a yellowy colour um, that looks amazing. Yeah, well, this looks vibrant orange. It's right. just sensational. Really? It covers all the banks on the sides of the roads ah. under big trees. Ah. and Yeah, it looks oh. really good. Very good. Mm. Yeah, excellent. Okay, and let's go to Val in Vermont. Morning, Val. Good morning, Pam. Good morning, panel. Um, I've got, I think it's called a smoke bush. It's a grey mounding plant. Do you know the one I mean? Most of the smoke bushes are either green or burgundy foliaged. Uh, Well, would this be a cotton bush? Well, the, 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 the botanical name is cottonous, but I wouldn't call it a mounding bush. No. No. What, um... Just describe it a little bit more. What you've it's got. sort of a. It hasn't got leaves. It's got. It's sort of more um, spiky, but not. Um, uh, no, it hasn't got leaves like an ordinary plant. But no. it's a grey colour. Could be ragodia, something like that. Well, know. I'm yeah, not sure. But the, the thing that I want to know is, it's got. It's growing still, but underneath gets all uh, dead looking. And I'm, I was moving it to weed the other day and a bit broke off and I thought, I wonder if I can propagate that. And um, because it looks nice against the burgundy... Um, it would be nice contrast. Yeah, so uh, it, it, I think it's a native. Mm, could be saltbush. Could be saltbush because mm. it's sort of... Well, that's more a grey... Yeah, without... It, Big leaves. Yes, without big leaves. Bits. So that maybe you mean salt bush, not smoke bush. Well, that could be true because I got it a long while ago and I've forgotten. Um, that's but, what it sounds what more like, mm, and that's a native. It, it does sound more like it, yeah. Have you ever done cuttings of that, Evan? I have very easily struck yep. some cuttings. Or you oh, could just good. layer it too, couldn't you? Uh, it does layer, but it's much easier to do it. Cuttings. And cuttings are really easy. Okay, good. Mm. Oh, that's good. And about the underneath, the underneath sort of dies off. 
It does. Yes, that's right. And it kind of it's a bit spiky if you put your arms into it to weed. Is that, uh, is that, does yeah, that sound right? I just mm. I, I was weeding around it, so mm. I don't know. Haven't put your arms right in there. Yeah, yet. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not big no, enough. I, don't think. I, I mean, you can you can prune them regularly to keep them a little bit fresher. Oh, can and, you? And they actually like a lot of water. If you, I mean, they don't like sitting in water, but they'll actually be quite lush if they get a reasonable amount of water. Oh, well, it might be. It's a bit dry where I've got it, but mm. it's looking good. It's just this underneath bit, <clears throat> and uh, you don't see it, so I won't worry about it no, that you, much. you could just prune it out. Yeah, yeah. well, that's a point, yeah. yeah. that would be fine. Oh, all right then. Thanks, panel. I'll speak to you later. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. And uh, we have Carol out in East Bentley. Morning, Carol. Oh, morning, Pam, everybody. Um, I wanted to ask Graham a, a question about Just Joey. Yes, Pam. Yeah. It, what it is, it, it seems to be a, a part climber. Right. I don't know. It just, it grows and it, then it just, it grows very tall and it just arches over. Not, it's... Mr. Lincoln grows tall, yes. but it stands vertical. Um, how 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 much does it grow? A metre, two metres? Oh, I'd say about yeah, two metres. Oh, you've might. got to hang on to that. You've got a you've got a sport of just Joey. Have Maybe. I? Yeah, mate. Oh, hang on to that. And um, when you prune it, don't really prune it really hard. Right. Okay. Just trim back when the when the flowers are finished. Trim back on the stems around about uh, nine inches, hundred and hundred and fifty millimeters, and um, just encourage it to grow. And uh, we'll see what develops by autumn as well. And then post all the cuttings to Graham. Yes, and his Graham address wants the is... cuttings. <laughs> <laughs> right. So when I trim it back 150 millimetres, yes. I do that after it's flowered. Flowered, yes, on that flowering stem. Look, okay. Just, just Joey can get very tall if it's got a little bit of shade. It has, yes. Yep, it's it east, can get very it's tall. It's a bit of north, but it's yep. mainly east. Yep, yeah. yeah. I've just moved my just joeys because they last year they're just getting too much shade where they were, mm. and uh, so they do get very tall. They can be two metres. No, mm. no sweat. Mm. Oh, right. Yep. Can I just ask one more question about a sure. lemon tree? Just, just on Just Joey, um, there's just been released a climbing version of Just Joey. Oh, right. And I've planted that in our, in our garden at, at, at the farm. Um, but when you look at climbers, you, you know, you've got to be careful. You've got to let them grow for a couple of years before they um, uh, they can be a bit tricky. Yeah, it's about okay. four years old, I'd say. Is it really? Yeah, okay. about Four years old, but what I don't get, Graham, is many flowers from it. No, no. Well, maybe again, that's because it's partly it's in, in the, the shade. shade. Yes, yeah. it really needs full sun. Mm. Yeah, it's reaching up in the shade for the for the light. Yep. Oh, that's right. what it'll be. Of course, yep. yes. Mm. Okay, just mm. another question if I can. Sure. Lemon tree, it's a young lemon. I've only had it in a few months and it's, thank heavens, growing leaves, but they're very light coloured and it seems to be that they've stayed that light colour for a while. Um, shouldn't they turn dark after a certain time? Yeah, they will darken up, but maybe it's just lacking a little bit of feed. Is it yeah, in I'll a pot, is it? Yeah, I'll give it some more. I gave it some feed, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, just be patient. I think it'll probably be okay. If you've fed it, just don't overfeed it. So just, just be patient. And, yeah, it's still and, putting on a lot of spring growth. Mm. Yes. It's lush mm. and yes. hasn't had time to firm up yet. Yeah. 
Oh, right. It's okay, just doing well, a lot of hard work at the moment because it's belting out that new growth. Mm. Yes, isn't it wonderful? Yeah, great. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. Graham, we've been asked uh, by a caller on the outside line for the address of the farm. Oh, the address of the farm is um, 550 McDonald's Road, Clonbanane. And if you go up the Hume Freeway, the Hume Freeway is the main road between Melbourne and Sydney, you'll see the signs Clonbanane on the freeway after Wandong. Don't go to McDonald's Road in Wandong where a lot of people go. <laughs> and um, this road was very confusing because it's named after Margo, you see, McDonald's Road. <laughs> yeah. We're very famous. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So if you, you come up the ramp on the Columbanane turnoff and you come to the bridge across the freeway, you'll see the Silkies Rose Farm signs once you come up the ramp. And we're about 500 metres from there around a real dog-leggy track. It's not a track, it's a bitumen road, but... They diverted this road when they did the freeway. Right. Okay. And give out your phone number in case people get lost in Wandong. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the normal phone number, I say normal, is 57871123. That's 57871123. Evan. I just wanted to talk about my raspberries. I know, I I'm that. amazed because you just gave me one. <laughs> mine, mine aren't fruiting yet. Yeah, no, They're I've early. already... Already got some, and um, I just people say to me, "Oh, it's so hard to grow," but they are the easiest fruit to grow. And the hardest thing is containing them. Containing them, what? I have them in a in a in an area that's got concrete all around it, ah. and so they just grow in there quite happily. Yep. What is this a particular variety you've got here? It is. It's the one I bought at a market years ago, and I have no <laughs> idea what it is. Well, it's um, a very early one. But it is early. <laughs> it is early, and uh, and it's just terrific. And I think people underestimate how easy they are to grow um, and running uh, with what you're saying about them getting away I did see once a lady grow them in a lawn so she had lawn only sort of she had little beds that were 400 mil wide right and of course she'd just mow the sides right mm-hmm. so the ones that would come up in the lawn she would just continually mow off wow. and that but was quite a good way of doing underneath it. the lawn yeah that's right really but mat up she, but she would just mow it and and she'd okay. had it there for years and it was fine but the other good thing i've found is the blackbirds only get the ones at the bottom the ones they can reach from the bottom. In fact, that's why I knew they were ready because I saw a blackbird with one in, ah. his, in his mush the other day you know, taking off. But um, they don't seem to sit on them because they're very flippy-floppy. Right. So yep. we netted them in the first few years and now we don't net them. Mm-hmm. So they're very easy to pick as well. And how do you treat them in the wintertime? Do you prune them back or how? Uh, well, there's two types. Yeah. Um, so the, the one that fruits now, uh, I, I, you only take off the foliage that, or the stems that flowered the year before. Fruited the year before, and then I just put them, lay them on a string that's about 800 mil off the ground, and just tie them in bunches on the string, and then they shoot from from those stems that are laying horizontal. They shoot, they shoot about 30 centimeters, and that's where they fruit. Mm-hmm. Oh. And then there's the other type, which I've only planted this year, but which are the autumn flowering ones, uh, which you prune, just prune the whole you lot to the ground. Cut them down to the ground, yeah. Yeah, and you don't really need to hold them up either. Mm. Um, but they are very easy to grow, and they're so expensive in the stores. Oh, I know. And we get kilograms of them yep. every year, and yeah. you imagine yep. if you bought that, um, how expensive that would be. And great for kids because they just walk past and just yep. hoe into them. Yep. You know, so it's a lovely way to get that. Well, the other thing, thing is that if you buy them um, commercially, 
um, as a fruit, they deteriorate. I, I visited a raspberry mm. farm uh, one year, and the fruit actually deteriorates, you know, within hours. Yes. Yeah, that's so right. So unless you can consume them that day, and they, they even mm. recommended on the farm that you actually have an esky just to transport them home mm. because they will deteriorate so quickly yeah. straight off the bush. Yeah. They're stunning. It's They're the fantastic. only way. Yes. It is. Yeah. And it so is. easy to grow. No spray. You know, no, I mean, I don't spray anything anyway, but no, no. there's no difficult care about them. Oh, none at all. No. And yeah, no plastic no, packaging to get rid that's of. That's exactly no, and, right. And I don't, I don't net mine either. There's no yep. need to. I get so yep. much fruit yes, anyway. Yes, yes. So everyone should go out and buy a raspberry plant. Absolutely. Uh, prepare the bed, the concrete edges. That's first. right. Yes, exactly. Margot, very quickly because we're running yeah. out of time, if people want to come up to the nursery. 96 have... Piper Street, Kyneton. You can't miss Piper Street. No. It's... Yep. No, it's... Come and visit. All it's the best great. shops are in Piper Street. Oh, yeah. well, especially down the other end. Down <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great little nursery. Plenty of good innovation. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're open when? Um, Thursday through to Monday, nine okay. to, 10 to 5. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. It is time for us to go for yet another day. You've, of course, been listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We'll be back again uh, next week at 7.30. Big thank you to Jenny and Virginia for handling all the calls. But as I say, tune in next week. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.